1 Kings 21. 1 Kings 21, I think that's the one I'm supposed to do this morning. 1 Kings 21, the story of Naboth's vineyard. Bible says, and it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him, that he may die. And the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. They proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. Now shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed, and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. 
and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard those words, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. I want to look at this great story, and I want to look at the lessons learned from Naboth's vineyard. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you come down and meet with us, Lord. We confess our unworthiness, God, to, to be your servants. Lord, we confess our unworthiness to have the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for us and to have communication with you through prayer and Bible reading. And yet, Lord, what a privilege it is. And we don't take this lightly. And we pray for the help of your Spirit, our Counselor, God, to help us as we try to preach these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to say this morning that the real riches are held by the righteous not the rich. Now this chapter is a great study in the interaction between the immoral and the principled man. I, I don't know how many spiritual lessons you could get out of this, but I'm going to look at several this morning. I don't know how many practical life lessons you could learn from this story. God knows there's a bunch we need to learn in this society, in our generation, completely forgotten some of the lessons that are easily found in 1 Kings chapter 21, maybe these principles that so much of American society used to live by have been abandoned because they just thought they were too costly. They just didn't feel like fussing over them. And they just gave them up. They just got passive. Maybe they were too inconvenient. I want to ask you this, Christian. Have you changed? Our society has changed. Even, in my, even at my age, oh, yeah. young as I am, <laughs> I can remember when American society looked real different, even among the lost people. Amen. Lost people wouldn't have put up with stuff out of their kids that, that Christian people are putting up with out of their kids right now. Amen. Society has changed. What's on the news every night looks way different than when Walter Conkright was was the one reading it of the night. I still remember those days. It, it doesn't, doesn't look like the same society. Amen. So I want to ask you, have you changed? Let's, let's look at these principles and see if there's some things we need to get back to. All right, number one. The poor righteous man has what the rich wicked man wants. Now I don't know how many Christian people, especially young people, but really all of us, have looked at the rich wicked people and thought, they can do whatever they want. They get all the fun. <laughs> Let me tell you something. 
one of the stupidest things you can ever do is to envy a rich, wicked person. Amen. They are some of the most miserable people on earth. Amen. And I have noticed the more the common man tries to emulate the rich, wicked people, the more they end up on their drugs and their drinking and they're seeing their shrinks and committing suicide like they do and attempting suicide and talking about suicide. In other words, the more you look up to the rich, wicked people, the crazier you get like they are. We have a society that, bless their heart, is looking up to the wrong crowd and trying to be like them when they're more miserable. And we've talked about this before, how women are wanting to be like men. Hey, listen, men are the ones that have been violent throughout history. They're the ones that have been more depressed throughout history. They're the ones that have been more suicidal throughout history. Ladies, the last thing you want to do is be more like men. Amen. Amen. For your good. I know when you talk that way, you're just trying to keep women down. No, certainly not. God Almighty and His commands in a Bible knows what is best for everybody, including women. And the more women try to be men, the more miserable they are in every single facet of their being, including their relationships. Look at the statistics. They all back me up. I'm not just saying this as a Bible-believing Baptist pastor. I'm saying this according to everybody that's ever studied the subject. And we have a bunch of common men looking up at the rich, wicked people trying to see how to be and the rich, wicked people looking down at the common man wishing they could have his life. What an interesting study in human nature. No wonder the Bible says the eyes of man are never satisfied. But here's the first thing that the poor, righteous man has that the rich, wicked man wishes to God he had. Peace with God. Yeah. What did we just hear on the piano and violin? Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. You know where that comes? God. You know where that comes? The Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God. So what are they telling you? Get away from that. They're mean. They're judgmental. They're sexist. They're old-fashioned. They're terrible. Get away from them because that's the one place you'll find peace. Try our drugs. Try our liquor. Try our philosophy. Try our psychology. Try it. You know what you'll never find there? Peace. You need proof of it? Society. Are suicides up or down? Is mental illness and depression up or down? Is Bible-believing preaching up or down? Is social media use up or down? Video games up or down? Pornography up or down? Just look at society and tell me if I paint a correct picture or do I exaggerate. The number one thing the common man, righteous man has that a rich, wicked man wishes he could get is peace with God. Listen to good music. Read good literature. Peace with God. Number two, a loving family. Ahab and Jezebel just have wickedness going. Ahab and Jezebel, their family is messed up. Did you notice the reversal of the masculine and the feminine in their relationship? Ahab's the one crying on the bed wanting to talk about his feelings. (laughs) 
And Jezebel's the one that wanted to go in there and fix it. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody talk about these things? You're supposed to just listen to a woman and not try to fix it, you know, because the man's all the time trying to fix it. Boy, not them. They had it reversed. <laughs> Let me tell you what goes on in society. The more you get away from just the way God made it, the more messed up everything gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the family is messed up, and the women are more masculine, and the men are more feminine and passive, and just everything gets messed up, and nobody's happy. Number one, peace with God. Number two, a loving family. Number three, integrity. In other words, they just actually stick to a set of rules or principles that came from something higher than themselves. Now, some people think of integrity as whichever phase you're in right now. When you're in your old-fashioned phase, you go by one set of rules. Then when you go through your liberal phase, then you go through another set of rules, and then when you go through your enlightened, progressive phase, then you go through another set of rules, and then when you get, oh, back to some conservative principles, but without really going back to the Stone Ages, then you go by another set of principles. Hey, listen, get you a set of principles when you're a child and stick with them your whole life. Integrity. You know what Naboth had? He had Integrity. He stuck with something even when it would have benefited him financially to go a different route. He said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. That's against my principles. There are many people who would say, well, I, I can't do that. That would be stupid. That would make me lose money. Sometimes losing money is an excellent thing. Sometimes losing money is the best blessing you'll ever have in your whole life. <laughs> Don't ever look at making money as a good thing. Making money is a tool. Just like... That old cowboy movie, Shane, you know, he says a gun is a tool. <laughs> just, like a, just like a hammer or a shovel or anything else, you know. A gun is as good or as bad as the man who uses it. Well, making money is as good or as bad as the man who's doing it. Amen. And if you're making money for good purposes, yes, it's a good thing. But there's a whole lot of things you can make money for that will wreck your life. <laughs> and it would be a whole lot better for you to be in the the old timers used to call the poor house, it'd be a whole lot better for you to be broke than succeeding in wickedness. Yes. Integrity. The poor righteous man has several things that the rich wicked man wants. Peace with God, loving family, integrity. Oh man, one reason that the rich wicked man gets so mad about it sometimes is he wishes he could be as solid and as steady and as sure and have as much integrity as the common man. There is many a person that has looked at a man of integrity and looked up to them and admired them and respected them and tried to learn from them and despised the rich guy who it was obvious you couldn't trust him as far as you could throw him. Integrity, character. And the last one is joy. Naboth was satisfied with the vineyard. Ahab mourns even after obtaining it. Isn't that interesting? Proverbs 15, 15 says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. You want to get afflicted? Just start doing whatever seems right at the moment instead of having integrity and always being solid and honest and consistent. None of us are going to be perfectly consistent, are we? 
If you've been saved for very long, you've tried that and you figured out uh, you really can't even last a day <laughs> perfectly. But the closer and closer you get to having perfect integrity, the happier you'll be. And the more you're afflicted with all your own opinions, constantly changing opinions based on what's the news that what's on the news that night, the more miserable you'll be. Alright, so not only does the poor righteous man have what the rich wicked man wants, but the wicked will tempt the righteous to sell out. Now at first, it's friendly and non-threatening. Verse 2, Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. So, he was offered a better deal than the one he already had. He had this good of a vineyard. The king is offering him an even better one. Listen, the devil will make sure that in some sense, the offer he's making you is better than the deal you have now. That's true. Now, you can't trust the sorry thing. And when you actually get it, it may not be as good. But that will be the promise that he makes. Or he'll give you money. Maybe, you know what? The responsibility of the vineyard was getting kind of tiring to Naboth. That, ha that does happen sometimes. Maybe he was getting up in age and didn't have time to take care of it anymore and just to have that money would have been advantageous to him. I don't know. But I know this. The first offer was friendly. It was non-threatening. And secondly, we've already mentioned this a little bit, it often involves good money. Look out, Christian. There are plenty of Christians that are otherwise good people, that when you put money in the equation, they don't care to lie, cheat, steal, or kill. Yeah. Oh, well, hopefully not kill. I hope I exaggerated there. <laughs> but if it'll save them 50 cents, they don't care if they cheat a little bit. Watch out. Watch out. The devil's offers often involve good money. Sometimes the best thing you can do is lose a little money. Good for you. Not always, I'm not saying to go out and purposely lose it, but don't let it bother you because it doesn't matter that much. And the more you love that money, the worse trouble you get into. The love of money is what? It's okay. I didn't say money was, but when, oh, what? I lost money? Sounds to me like you love it. If you go, well, I didn't mean to lose money, but oh, well, it's just money. That shows me you didn't love it. It didn't bother you that bad. You get a knot in your stomach, I got you. <laughs> I see what you love. It doesn't hurt you to lose something you don't love. If it hurts you, you must love it. Shouldn't hurt you bad. It often involves good money, all right? Uh, it often involves that which you love. Naboth does seem to have some affection for this vineyard. Because he does mention the fact that, hey, this came from my father's. There's some family tie here. There's some feeling. There's some emotion. There's some sentimental value. Uh, where you will be tested often is in the thing that you love. Amen. And where you should be willing to give up anything for God, there are things you should not give up for man. Different subject. So the wicked will tempt the righteous to sell out. I'll tell you something else. The righteous man has something priceless. 
You couldn't put them out on the orchard. A king can't give you enough for some of the blessings you have. Donald Trump, Bill Gates, whoever you want to list, does not have enough money to buy the blessings you've got in Crossville, Tennessee, in Victory Baptist Church this morning. Amen. What are some things that the righteous man has that is without price? For what shall a man, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's many a rich, wicked man. There is nothing that he wouldn't sell for the right price. I've heard him, I've heard him make those comments. Everybody has everything they have up for sale. We just haven't established your price yet. I've heard him actually say those words. Ah, oh, not somebody that realizes they have God Almighty. Not somebody that realizes they have an eternal soul. Not somebody that realizes they have an indwelling Holy Spirit. You could put no price on it. What price would you put on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ washing your sins away and giving you eternal life? There is, the price of eternal life is the blood of Jesus Christ. Who in the world can pay that but Jesus himself? And he already did. His soul, I'll tell you something else though. His heritage heritage that we have as Bible-believing Baptists, you couldn't put a price on because it's the power of God that's enabled us to do these things. You couldn't put a price on the heritage of Naboth. He says, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Who gave you your fathers? God Almighty is the one in control of that. But the priceless thing that all the righteous have does have one temporary disadvantage. I've been preaching this for decades. It is difficult to see in youth. You know why parents are over young people until they're adults and it's still good even when they're young adults for them to be seeking the advice of their parents? Because when you're young, you do not have the perspective of enough years and enough decades to see the worth of what you've got. And somebody out in the world can offer you a drink of liquor, can offer you a high-paying job, can offer you pleasure, can offer you something, and you don't see what a terrible deal you're making turning that in. Esau was a pretty, was a fairly, relatively young man when he sold his birthright and didn't care about Therefore, it lost his birthright and his blessing. He's just hungry. And when you're young, all you're worried about is what you're feeling right then. It is good to develop that trait of permanence, that understanding of things that are permanent and lasting and how much more important they are than what you're feeling right now. We live in a very effeminate society in the sense that they're just worried about how they're feeling in the moment. How you're feeling in the moment is not near as important as how you're going to feel for all of eternity. Amen. How you're going to feel on Judgment Day. Different, different set of circumstances. Different set of um, characteristics and things that are important to you when you consider it that way. 
All right, now here's the bad part. The righteous make the wicked angry. Now, up till now, I could handle it. I could preach it. I had some joy in my heart. But here's the problem. If you stand for what's right, you're going to make people mad. That's true. Amen. There is no way around it. All Naboth did is have a vineyard that his fathers left him and wouldn't sell it. He hadn't insulted anybody. He hadn't slapped anybody. He hadn't stole from anybody. He hadn't done anything that should have made anybody mad. And Ahab's pitching a fit. The wicked are immature and self-centered. They couldn't care less who it hurts. They're going to do what's right for them. That's right. Their phrases are always self and me time and right for me. That is their rallying cry. You stand up for yourself, your race, your sex, your rights, your... That's all they talk about. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not one of these people that deny human rights. We have a study when we're going through Baptist history where we talk about rights. They're in the Word of God. God teaches them. God gives them to us. These are God-given rights. I'm not saying we go to one extreme and deny their very existence. But on the other hand, it's not something that we devote our lives to fighting for and make sure I get every little right that, that is mine. Amen. Those are God's. He'll take care of them for the most part. doesn't mean you willingly give them up, but you don't dedicate your life to afraid that somebody is taking one little right from you somewhere. God, God keeps things under control better than that. You worry about meeting your obligations for the most part. But the wicked are immature and self-centered. Tell you something else. Integrity is a rebuke to an unprincipled life. Whenever you just do what you feel like, and then you see somebody doing what is right according to the Word of God, you immediately know something's wrong with that. Many a time when we've been trying to witness for the Lord or say something for the Lord or try, just try to say a prayer or hold up a scripture sign or preach on a street corner, people have got mad and said things like, you ought to keep that in the church. You don't need to bring that stuff out here to us. Do you think you're so much better than us? What's the matter? Why is that bothering you so bad? Mm -hmm. yeah. If I see somebody preaching out on the street corner, I go, amen, somebody's preaching the word of God. That's a good thing. Let's spread the word of God. It never occurs to me, what, you think you're better than me? <laughs> Somebody's got a little something sticking them there. Amen. Guilty conscience. Integrity is a rebuke to an unprincipled life. And here's another one. Confrontations are bound to occur. There are going to come some times. It's just going to happen. Amen. Sometimes you don't even know. All right, now here's a real important uh, thing to learn from this text. The choice of a spouse is extremely crucial. <laughs> Ahab was not a good man himself. He was already a mess coming from his daddy. But buddy, when he married Jezebel, she helped him take it to the next level. <laughs> the spouse has a mighty influence. DeWitt Talmadge, the old preacher from up north, said, No one can so inspire a man to noble purposes as a noble woman, and no one so thoroughly degrade a man as a wife 
of unworthy tendencies. I've heard even Bible believers say, I'm not going to get involved in my people's lives and tell them who to marry. I disagree with that. If you're not going to tell somebody who to marry, you don't care anything about them. Especially in this society. You go out and marry somebody in this society, you just messed up. They better be a rare gem. They better be an exception to the rule if you're going to marry them in this day and age. Amen, amen, amen. Because Jezebel, if you're already as bad as Ahab, Jezebel can even take you one step further. And the same thing can be said for the Christian uh, young ladies as can be said to the Christian men. De Tocqueville, who wrote Democracy in America, said, Of all the blessings which God has given to me, the greatest of all in my eyes is to have lighted on Maria Motley. Luther said of his wife, I would not exchange my poverty with her for all the riches of Croesus with, without her. Talmadge, dealing with this situation of trying to get your children to marry other children of other um, wealthy families to help them get... Um, Positions of wealth and importance in society. Talmadge said, The contest for social position is the most unsatisfactory contest in all the world because it is so uncertain about your getting it and so insecure a possession after you have obtained it and so unsatisfactory even if you keep it. Um, it is true that the blessings of wealth have some conveniences that are nice. It is true that they have some luxuries that feel good temporarily, but here's what they don't have. They don't have not one real, lasting, and certainly not eternal benefit. Amen. Amen. They are small. They are, you know, whether you're twiddling your thumbs or playing jacks. <laughs> okay, jacks is a little bit more fun than twiddling your thumbs, but... <laughs> It, it's, not, it's really not much. It's not that big a deal. Does anybody know what twiddling your thumbs and playing jacks is anymore? I don't know. I guess not. I guess, it, uh, let's see, let's try to update that a little bit. It's uh, playing uh, Nintendo as opposed to Xbox. <laughs> Maybe somebody knows what that is. I mean, it just you're sitting there wasting time on a video game. You know, it's just, it's not way better. Spouses have a mighty influence. But the right kind of spouse is a gift from God. You know how you get the right one? You get real close to God. A prudent wife is from the Lord. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. All right, now, uh, next thing I notice from the Naboth's vineyard story is that the wicked lie and misrepresent the righteous. They just they don't, they don't care to lie on you. Just like the gun control argument breaks down in that if you make guns illegal, then it's only the illegals that have guns. You say, well, they can't get guns. They're illegal. Uh, wait a minute, dummy. They're illegals. They already do illegal stuff. Of course, they're going to have guns. And likewise, if you're dealing with somebody wicked, they lie all the time anyway. They're fine with lying. It doesn't bother them to lie. So, of course, they'll just lie on you and say you're not righteous. Yeah. So that, that works well. 
The first lie they'll tell is you're just legalistic. You just think you got this holier-than-thou attitude. You say, is there not some truth to that? Sure. Of every single one of us, we're legalistic and think we're holier-than-thou and have some things we're self-righteous about. But the righteous are no worse about it than the lost. I've seen poor old lost, wicked people proclaim their greatness just as much as any Bible-believing Baptist I've ever seen. Here's the problem. Man it tends to be self-righteous. Amen. All men. It's not a new thing that, oh, now we've got this new bunch of Christians and they're self-righteous. No. Everybody from ancient times has been self-righteous. They say they're holier than thou. They say they're hypocrite. Hey, you know how they get Naboth killed and steal his vineyard? They just make something up that's a total lie. That's right. Mm-hmm. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying Naboth was sinlessly perfect. If they'd have took, you know, 10 years to investigate him, they probably could have dug up some real dirt that really was true. <laughs> but they don't want to take that much time. It's just quicker and easier to just lie and just make something up. And they're real good at doing that. Why? Because they want to justify what they want to do. Ahab wanted that vineyard. So he had motive to lie and get Naboth killed. And when somebody wants to do what they want to do, they have motive to say, well, you're just a big old hypocrite, self-righteous fool anyway. So now I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. You see how that works? The only way you take somebody seriously is when they have no motive whatsoever. When all of a sudden it makes them feel better about themselves, they'll lie quick. They don't even hesitate to. All right, another lesson that I learned from 1 Kings 21. This one's kind of unpleasant. God does allow bad things to happen to good people. We don't read anything in chapter 21 that says that Naboth really was a bad guy and God just given him what he justly deserves. We don't read that. Uh, the greatest example you'll ever see is the Lord Jesus. What happened to him while he was here? Amen. Uh, next would be the Apostle Paul when he was living for God and changing history in the early days of the church. What happened to him? What happened to our Baptist forefathers? Now, none of them were perfect, I understand that, but they didn't deserve some of the stuff they got. God does allow bad things to happen to good people. Hey, listen, victory. Young people especially, but all of us. Some bad things are going to happen to you that you didn't deserve. At some point, you've got to put on your big boy and your big girl britches and go on and keep living right anyway. I don't know how many times I've been going door to door, witnessing to people, talking to people about the Lord, and they said, well, I did go to church, but something happened in there that wasn't right, and I ain't never going back. Will you still go to Walmart? Guess what? A couple bad things happened in there. <laughs> you still go to ball games? God helps some stuff that's happened in there. Amen. <laughs> you know what your problem is? You're looking for an excuse to quit on God. God does allow bad things to happen to good people. It doesn't mean he was evil. It doesn't even mean he was foolish. There are people in the world that would say, well, see how stupid he is? He just could have traded up and got even a better vineyard or got a bunch of money. If he had just done that, everything would have been fine. Well, sometimes it's good to stick by your stuff, your rules, your integrity. Sometimes it's okay if you do die for something. 
Somebody said it's better to die for something than to live for nothing. You'll feel more satisfaction in your last moments of life if you're dying for the Lord Jesus Christ than you'll feel in a whole lifetime of living for your pleasure and what you feel like wanting to do. And you'll definitely get more rewards on Judgment Day. I do want to say this, too, that is learned from this chapter. God brings equally serious judgment for personal sin as for public sin. Back in the previous chapter, in chapter 20, Ahab releases Ben-Hadad publicly and officially, and the Lord says he's going to get him for that because he as king let the enemy go as he gets for just murdering Naboth in order to personally get a vineyard right by his, his castle. Don't think that somebody's personal sin and somebody's public professional sin is any different. The Lord judges both. If I'm talking to somebody, highly unlikely, but if I'm talking to somebody that's going to be elected president of the United States, what you do in your personal life will get God after you just as much as what you do in your public policy as president. God absolutely blasts Ahab on both accounts. All right, here's an important one, one that we're missing in our day, and that's this. The man is primarily responsible for his family. Does anybody see anything wrong in God's judgment down in verse 19? It says, And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed? Uh, no, Jezebel did. And also taken possession? Well, she gave it to me. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, the, the dogs shall the dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Uh-oh. The Lord goes, Day, why didn't he go to Jezebel? She's the one that did this whole thing. Here's why. Because God holds the man responsible for his That's family. Correct. The man is the leader in the family. I know you're not supposed to say that in our day. But the Word of God teaches that. What should, should, I, should I deny the Word of God since it's not cool right now? The Lord goes right straight to Ahab and wears him out over it. Same thing happens to Eli in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3, Eli's sons are completely grown but still doing ungodly things. And this is what the Lord says. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Hey, listen, husbands and fathers, this is Father's Day month. It is your job to tell your wife and your kids, no, we're not doing it that way when they go against the Word of God. That's, that's the teaching of God. And who does he hold responsible if your wife's out there lying and killing somebody? You. Or if your sons are out there doing wickedness in the house of God, you. It is your job to quit being passive, get up off the couch, and tell them no, or God's coming to get you. Now, I admit there comes a point they can move off to the other side of the country and be completely out of your responsibility because you can't even reach them anymore. And maybe that's a different thing. But as long as they're around and you have any influence, you're the one responsible. That's just the Word of God. 
And then, maybe the greatest and most shocking truth that I've mentioned many times is this. Humbling oneself before God is the right response. If there is one passage in the scripture that proves you better keep a humble heart before God and proves the benefit of keeping a humble heart before God, surely it is 1 Kings 21 where wicked Ahab, there was not another king that sold himself completely to do wickedness whom Jezebel his wife stirred up and even he got mercy from God and God wouldn't touch him when he got humble in front of him. Have you ever been all ready to fuss with somebody and fight with somebody and they come to you with their head hung down admitting they were wrong and they just totally disarmed you? <laughs> I've actually had that happen. I've actually been on both sides of that. Because <laughs> I realized, oh, I misunderstood. I was wrong there. That totally disarmed somebody already to fight you. Because <laughs> you just humbled yourself. And the main one you need to do that in front of is God. Number one, when you humble yourself like that, he sees you're repentant. Secondly, you need to humble yourself in daily life. 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Clothed with humility. What is the most obvious thing you saw Brother Bob today when I walked in church. You say, your bald head. Okay, second only to the bald head was the clothes I'm wearing. You can't help but notice the clothes somebody's wearing when they walk up to you in clothes. Your humility should look like that. Clothed with humility. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You know why you ought to humble yourself? For the reward that comes from it. I, listen, I don't mind admitting to you that there are some selfish benefits in doing right. God Almighty will bless you if you'll do right. And even if your motives are a little selfish to get the blessing of God, I don't blame you. I've got a good dose of that myself. 1 Peter 5, 6 says it again, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. All right, in closing, let's review. The poor righteous man has what the rich wicked man wants. You are already more blessed than the rich wicked people you know. And it's good that you realize that at as young an age as possible. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. Daddy used to preach that, and he would so often say, and the Bible is not exaggerating there. It is great gain. I mean, it's worth millions. And I've told you before, rich celebrities who have said out loud, I would trade my riches if I could have the family relationships that you have. They've actually said that to people. They've admitted it. That's not to mention the ones that just haven't said it out loud or that we haven't heard. The wicked will tempt the righteous to sell out, number two. The righteous man does have something priceless, number three. The righteous will make the wicked angry. If you want to live a life where everybody is happy with you, hmm, you can't live right. Living right in and of itself will make people around you angry. I, I wish I could tell you, if you'll just do right, everybody will love you. But that just isn't true. 
The choice of a spouse is extremely crucial. The wicked lie and misrepresent the righteous. God does allow bad things to happen to good people. Serve him anyway. You know why? Because the way of the wicked is real hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. Yes, it is. Don't think that if you jump over to that side, all of a sudden everything will be easy. What's Ahab doing? He's on his bed refusing to look up and pout in him king of Israel. He ain't happy either. God brings equally serious judgment for personal sins as public sin. The man is primarily responsible for his family, and humbling oneself before God is always the right response. Now, I'm sure there's some I've missed, but there is a lot of life lessons we can get out of 1 Kings chapter 21, isn't there? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you 